Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Yes, it's so nice to meet you, kind of. <laughs> thanks for kind of meeting me. Thanks for reaching out to me, nonetheless. But thanks for kind of meeting me. Thanks especially for <laughs> understanding that oh. um, sometimes babies don't want to go to bed. <laughs> Trust me, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a 15-month-old. Oh, the same age? You have a three-and-a-half-year-old? Good Lord, yeah. So, yeah, you know. And you've got even a baby or baby, yes. So I completely understand it's all good. <laughs> right on. Well, I, I appreciate that nonetheless. Sheetal Shet told me, From a very young age, I knew how lucky I was. As an actress, a writer, and a producer, she has seen storytelling in a way that gives her a distinct perspective. As an advisory board member of Equality Now and an ambassador for the Representation Project, she has the motivation and drive to make change happen in our world. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 445. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Sheetal Shet is today's guest, and with the release of Always Anjali, her debut picture book, she turns that voice and that purpose to readers, to create a space where readers can be seen and see themselves in stories in ways that perhaps they have not encountered yet. But before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Darshana, Jarrett, Mike, Link, Jenny, Sue, Anitra, Lynn, Amanda, Ruth, Lara, Judy, Karina, Teresa, Elaine, and the van load of others who are connecting with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and pick the support tier that's right for you. All the hugs and high fives for all of the many, many ways all of you out there listening support this show already. And speaking of support, please listen to a short message from our sponsors who helped make today's episode possible. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Gallery Nucleus, an art gallery and bookstore where you can find prints, books, and other gifts from some of your favorite children's book illustrators like John Clausen, Christian Robinson, and more. Gallery Nucleus is offering listeners 15% off your next purchase by entering in the promo code WONDER18. Visit gallerynucleus.com to discover more or click on the Gallery Nucleus banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. 
the team shares, our mission is to help aspiring storytellers learn the craft of storytelling by sharing our creative process intimately. We believe everyone has a story to tell. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast are invited to a free mini-class. Enroll today at StorytellerAcademy.com slash wonder. Or click on the Storyteller Academy banner at MatthewCWinner.com slash podcast. And now, please welcome my guest, Sheetal Shet, and always Anjali. Welcome to the podcast, Sheetal Shet. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you. Me too. I'm so happy to speak to you. I'm a fan and I just, I love that we're going to be able to have a great conversation about things we love. I am positive because we had said before recording about how quickly we suddenly seem to be (laughs) ready to talk shop and ready to talk children and ready to talk (laughs) books. And that, that to me is always a really cool thing. Um, But not often um, do I have the opportunity to talk to someone who has such a uh, diverse background in in their work. Often, I think, um, people that are drawn to writing for children come from all different walks of life. But I would love for you, if you don't mind, to introduce yourself to the people listening so that they can maybe get a better sense of, of what I mean. Sure, sure. So, you know, I'm new to the to the publishing world, but I'm not new to telling stories. I've been an actress and producer for a very long time, longer than I care to date myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, acting is, is what I do full time. It is, you know, my kind of passion and has been for a very long time. But more than that, kind of the larger picture of that has been just about telling stories and sharing and um Education has always been a big part of my life. I had a minor in it when I was in school. I've worked with kids my whole life. I worked with AmeriCorps. I'm on the advisory board of Equality Now and the Representation Project. I was a big sister for years. You know, so it's all, this is all kind of culminating to my point in that when I started writing this book, Always Anjali, it wasn't a huge surprise. The impetus came from me being pregnant with my first baby and becoming more kind of sharpened about the children's literature that was out there because I was trying to curate books for her and just finding very few um, books that I felt reflected the world the way I saw it. And certainly um, not inclusive enough, you know, and I just was just, I mean, similar to what I do in my acting life, you know, I just, in terms of like moving the needle forward and having narratives and, and the leads being the leads of our own stories, you know, and what I was finding is that generally, certainly if there was a, an Indian girl hero, and I mean an Indian American girl hero or another kind of ethnic hero, it, it dealt with kind of the um, exceptional or the special thing, mm-hmm. like a holiday yeah. or something, you know, that wasn't an everyday thing. And I just feel like we're never going to feel like we're part of the mainstream fray until we get to the point that we can have books about our pets and our dogs and the mundane, you know, um, and that's when I'll feel like we've really made the progress we have. And, and so, you know, I just kind of took a crack at it and thought, let me see, let me see if this is something that was working. And I tried to find my voice and it, it, it took me a process. I mean, it's been about four years since I started writing this book and to where we are now. And so, I mean, I don't have context, but it feels like a long time. <laughs> I, 
I I have context, and it seems like about that time that it oh. it it takes time. It takes studying. Mm-hmm. It takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're on a path though, as m- maybe is the common thread in writing for children, which is that at at some point it almost feels inevitable that mm-hmm. you've immersed yourself in in your case in storytelling of all different medium, and so why not come to the medium of of children's books? But also when you start reading, when you start spending time with books, when you start seeing that as as another mode of storytelling, uh, there are some people that, well, I mean, I guess there's that, that adage that everyone has, has a book in them, but it's, it can become more than that. I think writers have that draw of, of telling stories and engaging those readers time after time. And I know that, that in particular with your Always Anjali series or, or book for now, that it's intended though to be more than one story. It's intended to that you have some sort of intention of of world building around this character. Can I say it that way? Yes. No, I think that's a perfect way to say it. I really, that was my intention. You know, I want it, I want to, to know more about Anjali. I'm, I'm discovering her as much as I'm, as I write her and as oh, I share. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so it's really about, you know, this is hard by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is hard period. And then writing children's book is, is so hard. I mean, the less words, you know, and then making sure that, you know, every, of course, every word makes, they matter more, but then not making it for me. I'm not, I'm not someone that likes to be didactic and I'm much more fan of the subtle. And so trying to get the story you want and also write it in a way that you want that's subtle, but also makes sense. And for kids, I mean, it's, it's really hard. It's so hard. Um, it was painstaking, you know, finding, picking and the right words. And it wasn't, I mean, even the day that my publisher said, okay, we're going to print. I'm like, just give me one more second. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look at it one more time. Oh, you know? I love it. Yes. It's, yes. It's hard. And so, and again, you know, it, it, and I'm like this with my acting work too. I'm very detail oriented. Anyone who works with me knows that. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's because, I mean, I care so much, you yes. know, and so I really want to, I think through everything very much. I'm, uh, you know, a little OCD about it. I drive people crazy, but I feel like people of the, of, of who want that kind of excellence and, and, and dare to take it a, a step further, appreciate it, you know? And so it's all about kind of, um, doing the work, you know? And so it was a lot of, like you said, studying, reading a lot and seeing what was out there and making sure that if I was going to put this out there, it was a voice that hadn't been done before. You know, I certainly didn't think that I had anything. I didn't want to put something out there that I felt like someone else was doing far better than me, you know? And so I just kind of thought, let me just see if if I have anything and then see if it would resonate. And thankfully it did at that time. I feel too like perhaps much like in acting i mean i i know that i know that acting is a is a difficult job to um to continue with to always be on search of work right you're always looking for work uh as an actor um or perhaps um i don't know i don't want to be presumptuous about about what your no, you your work looks like there's no job but, security no matter who you are right <laughs> But where I was going with that in regard to, in particular, this book is is that notion that 
when you write a book too, you, you want to write it like this is the last chance you're going to get to turn in a book. This is mm-hmm. the last. What if this is the only book that a publisher ever buys from me? Mm-hmm. Much like what if this is the only, what is this is the last movie that I get cast in? You want, you want every, every opportunity to count that much. And yes, you can grow when the next opportunity comes, but what if there isn't a next? Why not make this the greatest thing that you can do? The best the best and, and, and purest. And I love when, uh, when, when I read through always Angeli, even the, the first time I was struck by that feeling of sort of, as you said, this is a story that is just of one of my students. It's one that doesn't feel like, uh, we're going to learn about, uh, uh some sort of, um, some sort of opportunity to learn how, how, culturally different this child is but yet the same as me make those sort of connections um it's it's more subtle it's more nuanced it's um i mean it really comes down to that thing that we all feel so much pride in or so much identity in and that's that's our name so much of our name yeah for some more than others that's the thing you know um and i love how you just described that because it's true it's about kind of appreciating how we're more the same um, and and knowing that our individuality makes us, that that's, that's what makes us shine and that that's what we all have in common. But I think what happens is um, a lot of times being, you know, having a name like mine or Anjali or, or other people, and it's not necessarily necess- like a, a name that's associated with an ethnicity, ethnicity, ethnicity sometimes. It's just sometimes there's a mark, you know, as your yeah. kids, kids, kids are mean and there's, there's something that marks them and what, what are we going to hone into? And for me, when I was writing this book, I, I really, for, for the longest time, it was, it started with, with kids talking to her and making fun of her for her name and not necessarily making it, having the racial undertone. Mm, okay. And I added that, um, later because I felt like, it needed it, you know, and I feel like it would have been remiss of me not to, I think I was a little afraid of it myself. I think it's something that myself and a lot of friends of mine and people of color deal with a lot. And it's, it's, it's really, it's a very sensitive thing for us. And so I was a little bit uncomfortable kind of figuring out the way to approach it. And then I read this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece that Matt De La Pena wrote for Time Magazine earlier this year talking about how it's we cannot be shielding kids from these conversations and how it's our job actually to have the conversations that are hard and what better place to do it than in the lap of a loved one and if not us who to give them language to make life more bearable you know and I just was so struck I, I read that article at like the most perfect time when I was thinking about taking out things and that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. You know, and it was really, I was really struggling. And then I was like, Oh, I read this. This is exactly what I needed to read. You know? right. And was it, was it not that article or maybe one he did around that time too, where he talked about books as maps. We talk yes. a lot about books as, as windows and mirrors, rightly so, but talking about a book as a map as a way to, to figure out and to get through and to explore and to understand and, and how safe a book can be for that. Well, having language around it, really, you know, what I found is it's been interesting as 
as educators like yourself and parents and people have been reading it, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. But then people are like, well, how do I then unpack it? They don't have the language, you know? And okay. so, you know, we developed a guide that I have on the alwaysanjali.com's website where it's like an e if a free download to have language. Because for me, part of this book is also wanting kids to be engaged. At, and I think you can be at, at the youngest of ages in, in what's appropriate at the time and teaching kids how to be not just bystanders, but giving them language to understand what do you do in moments? What if it happened to you or to your friend? How do you, how do you handle that? You know, cause it's going to happen. And I think what we're seeing in the world right now is a reflection of people not dealing with things and not having the language to have dealt with it earlier. And then we become adults and we're not equipped to kind of deal with stuff, you know. And I think the earlier we can talk about stuff, um, which is a universal thing, being made fun of is universal across the board. Um, but not talking about the fact of like kids of color have to deal with the reality that other people don't and not having everyone aware of that is remiss of us. You know, I was just at an event, kind of the soft launch of my book in Toronto and had all these parents, you know, white parents that came up to me and they said, we are failing as parents if we're not buying books like this for our kids, because how do we not show the world as it is to our children? And, and they didn't even realize that they didn't have, like it's not intentional, but you just like buy books. And part of the problem if I'm going to go on to a rant, which I will for a second, is you go into a bookstore and there's like separate sections for people of color, you know, it's like a segregated bookstore. It's so yeah. bizarre. You have like the main area and then you have a section of like issue books or a section of like diverse books or a section of like LGBTQ books. And I'm like, what's happening? What are we telling our children? And what are we putting out there if we're like separating these things and not having them all in one place? It's really frustrating. Oh man. Oh, you and I could talk. <laughs> you and I could talk in what would take us way, way more than what this time allows. But this might be future podcasts to go even deeper with this. I agree, though. And um, in my work as a librarian, um, I maybe to, 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 to just to bring it up, if you don't mind, in front of those people listening as well, who might be in a similar situation, being a teacher, being a classroom teacher or a librarian, I became very, very aware also not only of in my library, how diverse the collection is, but also what about the books I'm choosing to read aloud to children? Because mm -hmm. often I'm choosing, well, these are favorites and these work really well with this lesson or, you know, every kid loves to read whatever this book is. It's super funny or it's super whatever. But when I'm doing that, when I'm, when I'm saying yes to those books, uh, consciously or not, I'm saying no to others. Um, mm -hmm. or I'm saying no to representation in different ways, or I'm saying no to, um, just whether or not my children, can see themselves in these books and can learn uh, to see other people, to learn that empathy, to learn that skill uh, through these other books. You know, we, we count on books. We rely on books to help us build up those experiences because we can't live all of those experiences in one lifetime. So we, we, we have to absorb that way. But you're right. If you're not putting them in front of children, if there's not access there, then, then we're doing them a disservice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not, you know, we're not arming them with, we're not showing them the world. You know, no. you're not kind of, I mean, it's that simple. You're just not showing, documenting an accurate representation of the world. And you're also saying, you know, by choosing what you say, like that other stories don't matter. And why is there's a question in my guy that says why, like kind of given an example to children is for why it's important 
to have stories of all different people. It's almost like when you're in a group, everyone has has to have equal time. Everyone gets to raise their hand and everyone gets a chance to say what they want to say. And why is that important? Why is it important that everyone gets a turn? And that's kind of what that is. You know, why is it important that everyone gets a story read about their experience? Of course, it's important. Can I, would you mind if I read a part of your book to you? No, I would love it. There's, for for all that, that we're talking about here, about um, how how we may go into a bookstore or go into the library, as I was saying, or anything like that, and take for granted that 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 if you're white, as I am, you're, you've grown up seeing yourself in books all the time. And so that's, you, you take for granted that that's, that's your experience until something wakes you out of it. And you have that beautiful moment in your book that does that. So I'm going to read uh, from just a couple pages in. Uh, Anjali gets a bike for her birthday. She's so excited about this bike and she goes out riding with her friends. And that's where I pick up. After school, Anjali and her best friends, Mary and Courtney, were riding their bikes together around the carnival. Mary spotted a booth that was selling personalized license plates. Awesome! We should all get matching plates for our bikes! Superb! Angelie and Courtney agreed as they made their way to the booth. Mary and Courtney found theirs right away. Angelie looked and looked, and it has her looking through all of those names up there, which I think, you know, <laughs> I live on the East Coast. I think you do as well. Anyone that's been to a carnival or, like, to Ocean City or to whatever, like, we all know about the mugs and the lights. Yes. We know we know about that. Continues, um, Angelie asked if they had any more plates somewhere else. Sorry, kid, the cashier grumbled. Can you please check, Anjali pleaded. The cashier muttered, well, what's your name? Anjali, huh? Spell it. A-N-J-A-L-I. The cashier chuckled and tossed a plate in front of Anjali. And we read that it's Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A. Uh, and I'm going to end right here to read. Anjali suddenly heard one of the older boys, Zachary, snickering. They're not going to have a plate for someone like you, Anjali. Angelie's face got hot. That that moment there, man, I you woke me up as soon as we got to that page. Mm-hmm. You um you it was it was that moment that I think speaks so well to your your everyone audience. That for the children that will see themselves in this book, um there's that moment of I've been there where like they never have my name. They never have whatever and what that may feel like. But to have on the other side to be a person, I'm Matthew. They always have my name. Uh, it's not always spelled the right way. Sometimes it's one T or two, but um, you know, and I'm a two T Matthew, but it, they have my name. I'm represented. What does it mean to, to so quickly see yourself and yay, here I am. Um, and to not even consider that the people you're with, might not and how that might feel to be excluded having for Angelia having perhaps already felt excluded in so many other things. And then just to have this be like a, a physical reminder. Well, it's also that, that line that Zachary says to her, they're not going to have a plate for someone like you. Yes. That mean different things for different people. And so for me, that someone like you, that could be you in a different instance. Someone like you perhaps say, you know, a kid isn't great at a certain sport. Say a kid isn't good at a certain sub. Say there's whatever it is that we don't feel great about or we don't feel represented in or whatever. Like that's us in that moment, you know, to be singled out because you don't feel that you've been seen in whatever capacity that is, 
is the every person for me, you know? Someone making the decision for you. Yes. How do you know that I I am someone like that? How do you know that that I wouldn't fit in there or that I wouldn't have that interest with that? Or in this case, that line, the double entendre of going there, they're not going to have a plate for someone like you. Are you you implying someone with a name spelled like mine, with a spelling like mine, someone of of my background being Indian American or being uh, Asian American or being um, African American, being being whatever whatever quality that seems to make you not one of the 80 names they have on display it's only like 80 right you think about that it, what's what's shocking to me is that it's still the same like it hasn't caught up it's so no. dated it's so striking to me that even in 2018 that is still the same it's like the same name. Maybe there's like a few other ones, you but call, like yeah. not really. You caused me to think the same thing. I, I thought she thought, I thought, why don't they just have like, it's 2018. Why don't we just have the thing where like type in your name and it will be custom. Right, like just your, make a thing. Just do a thing to, to make it. It's shocking to me. It's shocking that it's still. And I have heard so many, like as I've been, you know, kind of starting this book, you know, sharing it which was, of course, nerve-wracking. I've gotten so many stories on both sides. I just met a woman in Toronto last week. She was Indian-American, and her parents sadly deliberately named her a name that was like a white name because they were worried that it would be hard for her. And she knew that it came from their you know, heart and wanting her to just like fit in and not make things hard for her. But as she got older... She realized that, and then it didn't feel like her. She's like, that. the name they gave me wasn't me. And so she changed her name back to, like, made up an Indian name and legally changed her name that so that she had something that she felt was reflective of her. And I've heard that story, it's so interesting, more and more. I, I used You've to think that. You've heard that story more and more. That is awesome. I right? have never heard that. That, to say that I am, I am in touch with where I come from. I am in touch with my family and my history. And I want to take ownership of that with a name, you know, a name stands out. It's what we write on things. It's what sometimes people see before they see us, they see our name. Yes. It was really really powerful because I heard that story. I mean, by the way, I only heard the story three times, but three times is more than I'd ever heard it before because usually I hear the other side of the story. And so I was just like, wow, I was really... I'm hearing so many stories from people. I mean, as you see in the book on the front and back covers, you hear anecdotes from people all about yeah. this, you know, about how they wanted to change and how they did change their name and what was their kind of alias that they grew up with and different ways of, of handling it. Um, so it's just, it's been really remarkable hearing just everyone's personal kind of journey through this, you know, and I have friends that like, she thought, by the way, I still have a Starbucks name, you know, they just don't want to deal with it. It's just, it's, and these are like really well adjusted, you know, really accomplished people and they just can't deal. It's interesting. I can't even imagine. You <laughs> have this beautiful page. I mean, well, one, it's illustrated beautifully. The illustrator on this is just like, I mean, oh, come she's... on. Yeah. She's wonderful. Jessica Blank. Jessica Blank. Yeah. She brought Anjali to life. I mean, it, it makes me weep when I, when I see it. Cause I just, she, she made her a person, you know, and I'm forever grateful and, and she's just lovely and works out of Texas and 
just a really great heart and, and, um, you know, she really did a great job on the book. I'm really pleased. I, you know, I don't have a finished copy of this book. I have a PDF, but I've done the same thing that I always do with, with however the I'm holding the book, however I'm looking at the book, which is that I love to flip through and see the color story of the, mm-hmm. of the book. Right. And, yes. and she's done such a beautiful color story in this of bringing uh, light to the places that, that match that emotion and of bringing sort of brilliance. I want to say the, the moment when Angela's mom is talking to her, um, there's another beautiful, beautiful name book. I wonder if you're aware of uh, this book by Juana Martinez, Neil, that came out this year called Alma. Yes. Yes. Another beautiful story about a name, but Mm -hmm. that, that same, I got those same chills when I got to uh, the page about, um, when her mom, yeah. What what does it mean? Anjali challenged her mom. Anjali's feeling like you're just telling me this name (laughs) is important. And she says, Anjali is a gift, the most precious kind divine, just like you. And she says, where does it mean that? And I thought, let me just tell you, I thought, the way you worded that, where does it mean that? <laughs> not why, not what do you mean? It means where, as in like, show me, prove right. it. Yes. Where does it mean that? Angela asked doubtfully in India. It's Sanskrit. My name, your dad's name. All of our family's names are, are from India. India is an enchanting place full of magic and brilliance and power. And let me tell you, Sheetal, when I see those words, magic, brilliance, power, and the way that that language, the way I can picture you as a mom talking to your children, I mm-hmm. feel like you are not only saying India is a place full of magic, brilliance, and power, but that mother is also telling Anjali, you, my child, are full of magic and brilliance and power. Yes. I mean, those three words... Picking those three words, I knew I wanted three, you know, I had like a, there was like a rhythm in my head and picking those words were hard because for me, how do you describe India to your child? You know, um, there's so much to talk about, but I wanted to kind of encapsulate what I felt was like the richness and all the different parts and also what a, what a young girl would want to hear so that she could own her power and her own magic. And what was like, what, what would make her feel kind of give her the impetus to kind of hopefully come into her own, you know? So, and that spread that Jessica did, I mean, it's just a stunning spread um, in that moment. It's just, I mean, it's just beautiful. Have you, you, you were born in the U S right? New Jersey or something I was, like that. But I spent, yes. But I spent a lot of my life in India. Well, we went cause I'm first generation. So we went back every couple of years for months at a time. I was going to ask when, at what age do you remember first going back? I, I'm asking because of impressions of impressions that it left you. I'm taking it that it sounds like you, you went back a lot, but tell yeah. me a little bit about those early memories of first going back. I had a lot of joy because, you know, my parents were, you know, they were the first of both of their families to come to America back. My dad came in the 60s and they had an arranged marriage and then they came in the early 70s. And so, and my mom comes from nine and my dad comes from five, very big family. And so all of my cousins and uncles and aunts lived in India. We were the only ones in America. So when we went back, and we went back very, very, I mean, since I was a baby. So I have very early memories 
of playing, you know, I, we would always go in the summer because of school. And so the monsoons and like the floods, but it was, it was always fun for us and playing with the monkeys and the animals and just like being very free, um, at that time, it's a, things are different now, but, um, you know, so I have a lot of joy of kind of just like being with my cousins yeah. and eating and playing and freedom. It was definitely, um, hard. It's a hard place to go to. Um, if you're not prepared to see the other side of it in terms of the poverty, but I also feel like I won, I, from a very young age knew how lucky I was to be living where I lived. And I felt like I won the lottery just by being born in the U S and I knew that when I was young, I knew every time I got on the plane and came back to America and left my family who as big as they were, are as expansive in their levels of comfort and class and, you know, wealth. And they, they range, um, to some very, very modest and some, you know, middle class. And so I see it all. And so I just was very keen on, on, on living a life that I, I felt would be worthy of my parents' sacrifice. And so, um, you know, and I still feel that way. You know, I still, it's, it's one of my biggest kind of challenges with my kids because I feel like they have more than most already um, and more than I had. And so I joke with my husband that it's our job to make sure that they're like number one, obviously healthy, but also just like good people. Yes. And how do we do that? And, um, you know, I, I think having gone to India as much as I had gave me real perspective um, on how lucky we are to be living here even with all the nonsense. <laughs> I am glad that you had that opportunity, but also that you continue to pour that into your children. Our next door neighbors go uh, every year to India and I teach a number of students that go every year. And so they're gone for, for a month or two or three. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to hear it from you in a way as an adult that can express it in a way that's perhaps different than what they're able to mm -hmm. is really cool to just hear that, that all of that, all of those memories and all of, all of what that means to go and see family there and come back here and have sort of those two worlds that mean equally, you know, that are equally defining you uh, is, is just really cool to hear. Thanks for sharing that with me. No, it's my, my I mean, it's a paradox. It's really, it's yeah. a really, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast, but, um, <laughs> okay. So we've got a, a next on the Chitelle and Matthew podcast. <laughs> <laughs> ah, awesome. Okay. Before we leave this book, the page, I just got to call it out and people go get a copy so you can see what I'm talking about on the, <laughs> on the page <laughs> where Anjali has made her own nameplate. She makes her own nameplate and she, decorates it her way there's an ownership there to it the the way that jessica has styled that all of these voices coming out asking these questions and being so excited um i've got to say again for structure for the way that you wrote this i love that in the line of well i'll read it and then i'll say that we read it down wow you made that Love those colors and how you draw those letters. I've never seen anything like it. What are those beautiful little gem-like things? They're called bindis. Cool. Can you make one for me that no one will have too? Um, mm -hmm. The idea that there's this affirming how special this thing is, this thing that she designed, that she made, but also that 
that the one line you give her on that page or in that Jessica broke it up into that page, but in the one line you gave her, uh, in that string of, of comments is something that gives her ownership over, mm-hmm. over her culture in that way of something that is different from what the people asking questions may have had experience with. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I wanted to, it, was, it felt like a full circle thing, especially yeah. because of what Zachary says to her, you know, and it's definitely, you know, the kind of the word dot has always been a bit of, um, a sensitive thing with the South Asian community. It's been used as a slur a lot. It, it, you know, there was a group called the dot busters that existed. There was a political campaign just this past year in New Jersey that used that word as a slur, you know? And so it's definitely, um, a thing in our culture that has been taken and, and, um, unfortunately used, you know, in not a nice, in, in not a very nice way. And so I really wanted her to find, and also it's also probably one of the most recognizable things, um, when it comes to Indian culture. So I wanted it to be something that was like very easily identifiable. Um, and so it's just interesting though, because on a side note, like Gwen, Gwen Stefani can wear it and it's cool, but you see our immigrant parents wear it and we get made fun of, you know? So there's just like weird, thing that we've all had to deal with. And so for Anjali to, to feel, and, and, and it was one of those things where it wasn't even about like her ever wearing a bindi. It was about the fact that like she was proud of being Indian and that she was never going to question that part of her again. And I think we can all agree that there's things about all of us, whatever it may be, our race or something, some quality we have, the way we speak, the, some gift, whatever, like there's that thing that makes us who we are or is a big part of who we are. And you never want to be ashamed of that. And so I really wanted to give her that kind of moment. Yes. Yes. I, I want to say, and I have a couple more questions to ask you, but I, I want to say as, as I get ready to close the book that, um, that always Anjali gave me so much joy. And mm-hmm. for me reading it, I saw my students and I, I think in a way I really fell in love with Anjali because she was and is the children that I've taught for so many years. And so thank you for that, that, that goal that you set out to, to represent uh, a character and experience that you felt like was missing, uh, at least from this one librarian's perspective, uh, for whatever that's worth, you, you yeah, accomplished you so it really much. well. Oh, thank yeah. you. It means everything. I mean, that's that's why we, we, we hope to you know put this out there and do it. It, it oh, I mean yeah. it's so so wonderful to hear. I really that's so nice. Let me go back to the, the we part there, because that's the question I wanted to ask. So you you were writing, you said about four years it took you to to start to write, to research, to figure out what is this story and how is it trying to be told, to listen to Anjali and how she was presenting herself to you. So it took you about four years to get there. When and how did uh, you get connected with your publisher, with Barat Babies? How did that connection happen? Right. So, you know, part of the process was also, you know, I'm in entertainment, I'm not in publishing. So, learning it's it's a you know uh, like big learning curve and so I just started talking to as many people that I knew that had any semblance of connection to publishing whether it be direct or not and I just listened to stories and I just started doing my own research 
and I kind of sent out, you know, queries to uh, book agents. And after some time, found one that I love, Woman Jane Starts, who's wonderful. And and we started pitching it. We started taking it around, and we went to all the major publishers and medium publisher. We went to, we went everywhere. Um, and there was it was an interesting process, and there was a lot of great feedback. There was a lot of interest. Um, but something, you know, it was funny. I, I think it's also kind of reflective of my film work. I'm, I'm an independent kind of, I love the independent world. Um, I love having more ownership on my, on what I do. I love having a collaboration. I love people working with people who are hungry. Um, and as we were getting <laughs> notes and feedback back from different publishers, and in that time we'd also sent it to Barth Babies, um, when I read the notes from different places, when I read birth babies, I was like, Oh, they get it in a way. Like all of their notes were constructive and made the book better. Not to say that other publishers didn't have constructive notes, but there was a tone when you, when I looked at all of them equally, when I had the comp, when I had, like, then I had a phone call with, with them versus others, they, they just got it. You know, I didn't have to like explain something for 20 minutes. To, to kind of explain a point uh-huh. oh, um, or they didn't want to whitewash it, which some people did, you know, and they would have notes. Well, can we do this or can we change that? And I was like, really? well, You're I'm open to, well, I'm open to some things, but like there's certain things that are necessary for the story, you know? Um, Ew, but that happens. Ew. Oh, yes. Well, you know what happens, Matthew? I think what happens is. I don't know what happens. Tell me. School. Well, I don't know. This is my experience. I don't, and I don't have a lot of it. This is the, for this one book. <laughs> But for me, and it's also very reflective of my film work in the sense of like what happens in the entertainment industry is like you get through certain rounds, like there's an editor and then they have to pass it on to this person. All these different people have to sign off. And what happened here is that you get to like that last tier and it would always be kind of an older, not usually someone of color man who was like the final say would be like, okay, but... And again, they'd have these questions that were so obvious that they didn't get what we were trying to do. Um, or these gatekeepers that kind of have like the final notch, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, and that, and that happens in my acting world too. Like the, the world of like the boards and the people making the business decisions are not reflective of necessarily the storytellers oh. or audiences. And so you're fighting, like we have to kind of, get a shift in all of those positions to get to a place where we're having, you know, like, like I said, constructive conversations. How do you make the book better, but not take away from the specificity, which is what makes it universal, you know? Um, anyway, yeah. So to me, I I went off on on a bit of a tangent, but my point is Barth babies was so clear to me from their notes and their my conversation with them that they were the right partner. And so, you know, it was, it was a very clear thing. And, and it's been, it's, and it has been exactly what I would hope to be. You know, they 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 work really hard. They're small, but they work hard, and they have, you know, um, they make the most of everything they have, and they do good work, and they're proud of it. And you and know, they, there's nothing they're not open to trying to do. It's great. And they want to they want to fight. They have that yes. that grit. Like you're saying, those small publishers, every book has to count. Every yes. book has to count, and they have the ability because they have a. a Whatever you call it, they're they're publishing a a, a fewer number of books right. uh, per season, um, so they have the ability to really get behind those books and have 
have all the resources firing toward those books, as well as having folks like you on the other side of the book as the authors, as the illustrators, who can also put in the time to champion. So it does become uh, a team effort. And I like that. I mean, that's what you want. What are we doing this for? You know, I mean, it's like I spent all this time to get here. You have to see it through, you know. (laughs) Something that's hopefully going to stand the test of time, I hope. And, you know, continue to find new readers. And as I discover Anjali, there'll be more Anjali books. And, you know, my hope is to see, like, a collection of Anjali books in someone's home. Like, how awesome would that be? It'd be great. Well, I hope you'll come back and tell me when you got more books coming. I'll be excited. Yes, I'm writing. It's just, oh, it takes me forever. <laughs> right? Come on. You're living the life of the writer, right? You work full time and then you're like, car- all of us do this. We carve out time in uh, the wee hours in between children and whatever to yes. find time to write. And that's that's what makes it, like, that's the fun part. That's the hard part, but the fun part. It's so good. hard. Mm, okay. Well, it has been a total blast to meet you. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. your book with me. great. Um, is there anything that I, that I, that you wanted to express about always Anjali that I didn't ask that we should make sure we cover before we go? It's available Um, everywhere. I know that it's out. I know that, um, we can find it, um, through directly through the publisher. I'll add links to that. Um, but is there anything, anything beyond that you want to share? Yeah, no, and we started an alwaysanjali.com website, which will have kind of all of the, it's one place to see all the events and the reviews and can buy the book there and get the guide. All that stuff is in one place, so it keeps it kind of easy and streamlined. Um, so that's kind of the easiest way to kind of keep up to date because we're going to be coming to lots of different cities. Um, oh, we're cool. in, doing a big New York launch this weekend. Then we're doing Boston. We're doing West Coast, South. We're doing we're doing lots of different cities, and so you know, keep abreast of that. We're going to kind of do our thing, and I'm excited. My my favorite part of this is you know, talking to the kids and having the conversations and going to the schools. And, you know, I want to be doing as many of those things as possible because I love that. Meeting those readers. It becomes, um, so let me, let me do just a little tangent to say that there's the band I love, Fleet Foxes. Love this band, Fleet Foxes. But in an interview, they talked about how they, the way that they toured was that they would visit essentially the same venues, the same areas uh, over time so between albums, they'd have like two or three years between albums, but they'd visit the same places uh, each year between those albums. And as you revisit, the crowd grows and then they bring friends and they bring friends again. And you get to do that as an author when you go and bring a book to a festival or to a bookstore or to a whatever. You show up, you have your book, you make an impression on a family, on a kid. You come back again next time with next book and the kids grown up a little bit, but they have grown up with that memory of that book. Yes. And then you have more. Like that's a neat thing that that writing and especially writing for children, working with children, gets to be that we we get to grow with children. That's a very, very special thing. And I know I could tell from talking to you how um how how much you honor that that practice. Well, you always want to feel like you've been seen, you know, and like the dedication in my book, you know, like I, like I said, is may our littles always feel mighty. You never want to not take that. And I think about that all the time with everything happening in the world. Like, what are we telling our kids? What matters, you know, yes. and nothing's more important than going out and making sure that you feel valued and seen and important and respected. And it starts with our literature, you know, and what's putting out there. 
And so like what you do as a librarian and an educator is, is like the most important thing ever. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on about education and how we do not value it here the way we should. And it's, it makes me crazy. You are doing tireless work for, for all the right reasons. And so thank you for everything you do. Well, why don't we end back with those children? Because I'll see them tomorrow morning and, and I know you're continuing to write for them and that. And and I hope that you get to meet many, many, many of them in this coming year with Anjali. Uh, let me end this way, Sheetal. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would say that if you can dream it, you can be it, whether you can see it or not. So don't wait to see it. Don't wait to be told you can do it. Just do it. This is Claire Lorden, author and illustrator of Lorenzo the Pizza Loving Lobster and illustrator of Over at the Construction Site. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winter in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's it. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.